Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, team. Good morning, church. How are you? It's good to see you, man. Thank you. Oh, no, sorry. Excuse me. Glad that you were here today and glad that we get to continue in our worship together. Uh, hey, before we jump in for today, I uh, want to let you know about uh, things that are going on these next couple of Wednesdays. Uh, last Wednesday, if you were here, we did something special. Uh, we did a thing called One Night Only, where I went through the entire Bible in 50 minutes. And yes, I talked fast. Uh, and uh, But it was fun. It really was. We had a, a packed room here. We had a great dinner. Uh, some of you guys have asked. We will be putting that on audio. It's not up there yet, but we'll be watching the podcast. Uh, we'll be putting up that up there soon. Uh, you will probably need some notes uh, that I have. And so be looking for those. Uh, but it really was, it was a very unique time for us to share together, a very encouraging time. And we've got two more of those coming up. I'd love for you to be a part of this coming Wednesday. We're doing another one night only, and we're going to do a Q and a session on this sermon series. Uh, we've been talking about a lot. We've got a lot more to talk about. And you said, Adam, I got some questions. I don't know if you're going to cover them or not, or maybe you got some questions over the things we've already looked at. And said, so I would really like to, to know about this. Well, we would love to take some time to answer those. And so this Wednesday we'll do that. We'll have dinner as usual. You can come if you like, but 6.30, we'll be doing a Q&A. Now, I do need your help for this. Uh, and so if you already know you have questions, uh, don't just wait until Wednesday to ask them. Go ahead and you can ask me now. Uh, you can actually write it on that little prayer card in front of you. Drop it off at Connections. You can email me. You can email the church. Uh, but just say, hey, I would love to hear you talk about this. Or what about that? Or here's a question I, I need to be able to have the answer for. Go ahead and ask those. We will be taking some questions in the room, uh, but I'd love to have some of those ahead of time so we can really collate the ones that are like kind of most important to you. So if you are, make sure you're going to be here this Wednesday, 630 uh, for Q&A on the um, Worldview series. And then the following Wednesday uh, is something new. We've never done this before, uh, but we are going to do a, our version of speed dating. Here's how it's going to work. Uh, if you are here and say, Adam, I'm new to the church. Maybe uh, you're, you're a visitor. I met a lot of you guys were here first few times and say, I'm not plugged into a community group just yet. Or you might say, Adam, I used to be a part of a community group, but there's been a lot of change. I was gone for a little bit. I'm looking for a new community group. I'm not currently plugged into a community group. We want to make it easy for you to really see what's out there and find the place for you. So here's how it's going to work. We're not going to do dinner uh, on this night, but we will do dessert. If you show up, uh, we're going to have tables all in the room. We'll have dessert everywhere for you. You're going to enjoy that. Uh, and then we're going to put all of the visitors or people who are not in a community group, you're going to get to sit at a table. And then I'm going to bring other community group representatives to you, speed dating style, all right? They're going to get five, six minutes to tell you how great their community group is. You can ask them questions that I will provide for you. We're going to make it easy and fun. Uh, and then after five minutes, switch, and then I'm going to bring you another one. And you're going to get to meet a ton of community group leaders all in one night. It'll save you a ton of time. It takes all the pressure off of you, and you really do need to be connected to a community group. It really is going to be a fun night, uh, but we're only doing this once, right? So you got to come to this night. So if you're not a part of a community group, make your plans on November 2nd to be right in here uh, for Speed Dating Community Group Edition. Uh, it really will be a lot of fun. The final night uh, of Wednesdays will come the following Wednesday. And this is not a one night only. We're going to do a prayer night. Uh, we did a lot of these last semester. We'll do more this semester. Uh, but we want you just to come together for an hour. We're just going to pray together as a congregation. We've had very powerful times before. I'm excited to be able to do that again. We'll do that on November the 9th. Again, no dinner that night, uh, just an hour of prayer together. But I'm very excited about these. And look, these are very unique experiences. Do not miss them. Uh, and I'm excited to be able to share those with you. But now grab your Bibles, if you will. Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. 
Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, second to last chapter in the entire Bible. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 is where we're going to be in just a second as we're continuing our worldview series. And before we get to challenging the ways of the world, we're really kind of figuring out how do we see the world? How do we understand the world? And that's very important because once you figure out all of these things, that impacts how we live, how we make decisions, how we spend everything in our lives, our time, our life, our energy, our influence, our resources. Well, they all flow from how we see the world. We've been looking at what we believe for the past few weeks, and we'll do that again to, in just a moment. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, is where we'll begin in a second. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Uh, what would you do today if I could tell you with absolute certainty that you only had 24 hours to live? Just think about that. If I could tell you, I have a word from the Lord, you only have a day left to live, what would you do with your schedule? I imagine things would change, right? Whatever you had planned for the afternoon most likely would change. If you knew you had one day to live, I imagine you would scrap everything and do a couple very important things with that last 24 hours right here on this earth. Let me ask you a second question. What if I could tell you with absolute certainty that you would not die for another 40 years. Now think about that. You have absolute guarantee you're not going to die for at least another 40 years. Now that's different depending on how old you are right now, right? You're going to think about that differently. But I imagine what you would do today would be different if you knew you had 40 years guaranteed than if you only had 24 hours guaranteed. Why? Well, you're going to be here a while. You're not just going to run out and blow all your money. You're not going to run out and do all these different things because look, you got a plan. You got four decades in front of you at least. Okay, you're going to do something differently if you know you got 40 years versus one. Well, what if I could tell you with absolute certainty that you were going to live forever? How would that change the way you live today? If I could tell you with absolute certainty, and this is actually not hypothetical, this is true. You are going to live forever. If I can tell you with absolute certainty that you are going to live forever, how does that change the way you live right now? Because what the Bible teaches us is that this life is not all there is. When we're talking about a worldview, we're not just talking about how we're going to live in the earthly life that we have, the, the, the 50, 70, 90, 100 years that God gives us in this earth. He says, no, you are going to live forever. And if that is the case, how does that impact how we are living today? Because if that's true, that ought to color everything about us. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the afterlife a little bit. Specifically this morning, we're going to be talking about Judgment Day and heaven. Next week, we're going to be talking about hell. I had originally planned to do all of this in one sermon. We're going to do Judgment Day, heaven, and hell all in one sermon until I realized that that is impossible. All right, there's just too much. I couldn't, I, could, I literally could not cram it all in into one sermon. And so I'm going to have to change my plans and we're going to talk about hell next week and know the irony is not lost on me that I'm going to talk about hell the day before Halloween. So look, didn't plan that, but it's happening. It's just one of those things. So show up next week and we'll talk about that, right? But you came for the good morning. We're talking about heaven this morning. All right. So look, let's start with judgment day. Uh, you and I need to recognize that at the end of this earthly life, we are, there's going to be a judgment day that awaits us. Jesus Christ is returning. 
And when Jesus Christ comes again, he is not coming as a carpenter. He is not even coming as a savior. He's coming as a conquering king. He says, I'm coming to make the world right. I'm coming to root out all the evil in this world. He is going to come to judge the living and the dead. And this is something that Jesus speaks clearly about. And actually we see all through scripture. So let me show you a few verses about this. First off, John chapter five, verses 27 through 29. This is what Jesus says. It says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Don't marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus says there's going to be two resurrections that happen at the end when he comes to judge. He actually has multiple parables where he talks about judgment day and how everyone is going to be sifted out uh, at the end of time. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter nine, verses 27 and 28. The writer here says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is what Jesus is going to do when he comes back, but we are appointed to die, and then after that to face judgment. And let's go to the next one. And this is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. So we now see the picture of this happening. John says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And look, I could go on and on and on. This idea that we're going to be judged for what we have done. We are going to be repaid for what we have done. This comes up over and over and over and over in scripture. What is this telling us? It tells us that, listen, when Jesus Christ comes back, everyone who has ever lived is going to face a judgment day. That's not a myth. Jesus is clear, but this is going to be a judgment day. And we are going to have to answer for all that we have done. Now, quick question. How do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel when you hear the idea that you're going, to, you're going to be judged for things? Because I imagine that brings up some anxiety, does it not? We've all had to take tests at a different point in our life. And even if you walked into a test knowing that you were probably going to make an A, knowing that you think you've studied well for this, there's still some anxiety because you're not in control. You're not the one doing the judging. You don't exactly know how it's going to be. And there might be some anxiety to say, listen, am I going to pass the test? Am I going to survive judgment day? I I know there's some things in my life I'm not not proud of. And are those going to be brought up and shown to everybody? I mean, I'm just, I'm I'm ashamed of some things. I mean, am I, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I going to pass the test? We just feel that whenever there's any sort of test given to us. And if that's what we feel, let me offer three things that Judgment Day reminds us of very quickly. First off, the fact that there's a Judgment Day reminds us of this. First off, that our actions matter. That your actions in this life matter. None of us is an island unto ourselves. Our actions have ripple effects. And they go out farther and longer than you you could ever possibly imagine. And they impact people more than you think. You might sit here and say, Adam, I'm not very important. The things that I do don't really matter. These things I do, they aren't big things. They don't have big impacts, but but that's that's false. They actually do. At the very least, every single person should know this, that our actions have broken the very heart of God. 
When you and I looked at him and rebelled, the one who loves us and made us, we said, no, we reject you and we gave in to the sin in our lives. We broke his heart. We have impact on an eternal scale. But then also all of these sins, they have impact not just for us, but for all the people around us, the people that we love, and even people beyond that. Our actions have consequences. It is not the case that you and I can simply sin with impunity and it's all just going to be fine or it's all just kind of wiped uh, clear and we just kind of push the reset button and we start over. No, our actions matter. There's going to be a judgment for the things that we we have done. Now, look, there are people who don't believe this. Atheists and agnostics and go, no, 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 you die. It's over. That's it. It's black. Nothing happens. To which I would reply, are you willing to bet your eternity on that? Seriously, are you willing to bet for eternity that there's not going to be a judgment for what you've done? Because inside every one of us, there's this thing that craves justice, isn't there? The idea that, that, that wrong would never be righted, that people would get away from it, it kind of... I mean, that bothers us. There's this sense that there ought to be justice and that's in all of us. Why would that not extend to us? God put that there. And so the judgment, it reminds us that our actions matter. Here's the second thing. It reminds us that we will be judged. Judgment day tells us that we will be judged. And you go, well, Adam, that's kind of obvious. Of course, that means what it is. Yeah, but but it begs a deeper question. If we're going to be judged, by what standard will we be judged? By what standard are you and I going to be judged? What's the key? Because that's very important. If you're walking into a test for a class, you got to know, is this pass fail? Is this A, B, C, D, F? Is this bell curve? Do I just have to be better than half the population? Because I'm pretty sure I'm better than those people. And probably some people. I mean, do I just have to be better than half the people in existence? Is that what gets me in? Like, what's the standard by which I'm going to be judged? Because in my mind, in your mind, we have the idea of what a good person is. And that idea has been given to us either by our parents or by our upbringing. Maybe it's by a a coach, a neighbor, our friends, the the people that we live around, culture. We we come up with an idea that says, this is what I need to be if I'm going to be good. And then we judge ourselves. Have I met that standard or not? If we we are, we say, well, I'm with the good people. And I guess everybody else, they would be the, the bad people. But we all have this interesting standard That we have come up with, but here's the thing. We're not going to be judged by our standard. We're going to be judged by his standard. We don't get to determine what is right and wrong. The Lord is not going to ask you, did you follow your heart? He's not going to ask you, were you true to yourself? He's going to say, were you true to my standard of right and wrong? That is the standard that we are all going to be judged by. Uh, Imagine this. Uh, Imagine that you went to a different country and you inadvertently broke one of their laws, all right? So you're in a foreign country, and you broke one of their laws. You did something that is legal here in America, but in that country is illegal for some reason. And you say, well, I'm just doing what I normally do. And you might get mad when they arrest you for this thing. Here's the deal. They're still going to prosecute you. And they can. They have the right to do that. Do you know why? You're not in America. You're in their country. And you have to abide by their laws because they rule that land. That may make you mad, but it's still their land. Here's what you need to understand. This is my father's world. It's not ours. 
We didn't make ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. We did not invent right and wrong. We don't get to determine right and wrong. We don't get to modify right and wrong because there's a God who's already established what is truly right and wrong. And we are going to be judged by his standard and not by ours. So we need to keep that in mind. But here's the third thing about judgment day. I hope all of us can understand. You do not have to fear. You don't. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to fear Judgment Day. You see, there might be people here in the room, even people who would call themselves Christians, who have a lot of fear about death. And not just fear about dying itself. I mean, that's unpleasant. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking forward to that either. But, but really, some people, they say, no, no, I, don't, I just don't know. Am I going to make it? Have I been good enough? Have I done enough good things? Have I followed the Lord well enough? I just don't know if I'm really going to make it in. And this is where you and I find out whether we believe the gospel or not. This is where you and I find out whether we believe in the grace of Jesus Christ and that salvation is by faith through his grace alone or whether we really do believe in a works theology. That we're saved by what we do. We're saved if we are good enough. See, what the Bible says is this. Here's the standard. It's perfection. How you doing? Anybody meet that standard? Anybody getting close? Because I fail miserably. I don't get anywhere near it. I have zero hope in the world. Praise be that Jesus Christ has come and has given me his righteousness. Here's why I don't fear judgment day because it's already happened for me. I do not have to fear judgment day because all the judgment that was coming for me, Jesus Christ has already taken it on the cross. He's already paid for it. I don't deserve that. I can't repay him for that. But he's already taken all of it. And even better than that, he took his perfection, which I also didn't earn, and just gave it to me. I wear the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. When you put your trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I do not have to fear judgment day because it has already happened. That's why there's two resurrections, the resurrection to life and the resurrection to judgment. If you would like to face God on your own, based on your own merits, you can and you will fail. But you don't have to. When you and I come to Christ and we surrender, we sang that earlier, we surrender. God, I give up on this idea that I'm in control. I admit that I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of your standards and I did it on purpose. I can't even claim ignorance, but I believe that you love me. And you gave your life for me, even though I don't deserve it, you forgave me. Jesus, I surrender to you. When you give your life to Christ in salvation, I never have to worry about judgment day because it's already happened. So if you have anxiety in your heart, if you're worried about judgment day, stop trying to put your faith in your own works. Put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Trust him in a personal relationship and then you don't have to worry about judgment day. But what happens after that? Once there's a judgment day, where do we go from there? And there's two different destinations that await us after death. There is a renewed heaven and earth and there is hell. There is a renewed heaven and earth, and there is hell. Like I said, we're going to talk about one this week, and we're talking about hell next week. Now, there's something very important we need to kind of address right off the bat. When it comes to heaven and hell, many of us have some false images in our brain about these places. And there's good reason for that. Number one, we don't have anybody who's gone there and come back to tell us all about it. 
Jesus is the only one who can really say, and he's given us glimpses, but hasn't told us everything. Furthermore, the images that we do get are in many ways symbolic. They're trying to describe something we can't fully understand. So we just get these symbolic things that help give us the essence of that. But then on top of that, when you really get into your ideas about heaven and hell, you have all of these um, uh, popular images that come up. Like, think about heaven for right now. Like, just think about heaven. Imagine it. When I say the word heaven, what picture shows up in your brain? Because I don't know what shows up for you, but there's all kinds of popular images that might come up. We say, well, Adam, it's, 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 it's mainly white. It's up in the sky. There's no ground. There's clouds, right? Uh, people have harps, apparently. Those come into play. Um, uh, we all wear white, right? There's no more color anymore. No fashion. All white. That's all we have. Uh, it's very bright. We're squinty, right? And it's populated by these little angel baby things that I saw in all those Rembrandt paintings. It's like this celestial kindergarten, apparently, that we're all living in. Uh, with these little angel babies kind of floating around, little chubby babies uh, doing their thing, right? Uh, and, and after that, I don't know. I don't know. Streets of gold, pearly gates. I've heard things, but I don't know. And, and so he, here's the thing. We've got all these images that when you really get down to it, some of them have been influenced by Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, by popular culture, by art like Rembrandt uh, and other uh, paintings that, that aren't really true to form to what it is. And so over these next two weeks, I really want to challenge you to kind of look into scripture and not just assume that we understand what these things are, but to let scripture guide us and telling us about these future states that we are going to live in. So let's talk about heaven for just a second. Now, when we say the word heaven, uh, there are two different things that we talk about, but they're, they're completely different, but we tend to lump them in the same thing. Uh, the first is where we go after death right now. When we die right now, if you have loved ones who we have lost, their bodies are buried and their souls are with the Lord. If we're absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. And so we call this heaven. They have gone to heaven. And that is exactly where they are right now. The thing is, that is not where we're going to be forever. That is a temporary state. You see, God did not make us to be disembodied souls. He made us flesh and spirit that are meant to be one. And so when we die now, before the second coming, before judgment day, yes, we're absent from the body. We are present with the Lord. This place would technically be called paradise. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And we kind of use the word heaven, but this is a temporary space that we are hanging out in before we get to the fullness of what is actually heaven, where you and I are going to live forever in eternity, and that is a renewed heaven and earth. And that's really what God means when he's talking about heaven, when he talks about our future state of where we're going to live forever. This is the fullness of a renewed heaven and earth. And Jesus actually has a lot to say about that. So very quickly, I'm going to give you 10 different things that really form this world. 10 things that really form it. And these are not the only 10 things, uh, but I only have so much time. All right, so let's take these 10 things and let's see if we can begin to build a picture of what life in Christ is like. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, and this is where you kind of see it, all right? Revelation 21, 1 through 5, verse 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. All right. So from this passage and from others, what do we learn about our future heaven and earth state? The first is this. It is a place of worship. It is a place of worship. All throughout Revelation, you see everyone worshiping the Lord. We worship our Savior and King. We are worshiping God the Father. The angels worship him. We get to worship him. We all worship the Lord. Now, now what does that mean? Well, it means that there's going to be singing. There's going to be adoration of God. And this is going to be ongoing. Now, what that does not mean is that we're just in one long worship service. I've heard people say this before. Heaven's just going to be one long worship service, which honestly just sounds boring. Does it not? I mean, look, I can sing, but like one 200 years tops. That's it, right? If I got like an eternity to live, why can I have something else to do? So this is not just like one static service. It just means that there's a constant sense of adoration. I am living in the Lord. I love the Lord. He loves me. There's a constant worship of God that is going on in this place continually. You ever found yourself at a spot where you kind of hid some of your Christian music? You put it in your headphones. You didn't play it. You didn't play in different places because you just didn't know what other people would think about your Jesus music. When you were here, it's like, I don't know what people are going to think if they recognize, I I love the Lord and I want to worship him. Okay, that never happens in heaven. In heaven, everyone is worshiping the Lord. Everyone adores him. This is the constant state that we're in. It is a place of worship. Secondly, it is a place of rest. It is a place of rest. Scripture calls this the Sabbath rest for God's people. When God saves the Israelites, he says, I'm going to give you a Sabbath rest in this new land. I'm going to give you rest from your enemies, your own place to be. When you and I finally reach the new heaven and new earth, we get rest from where we've been. You see, right now, you and I live at war. We are at war with the world. We are at war with Satan and we are at war with our very flesh. We have a body that literally tempts us towards sin. And this whole life is warfare. There's a coming a day when we finally get to rest because the war will be over. There will be no more battle fight. The battle belongs to the Lord and he has won it. He has conquered. He is victorious. You can put down your arms and you can rest in this place. This doesn't mean that we're just going to nap forever and we're just going to kind of just kind of sleep forever. It just means that there is rest from the war that you and I have been in. This is the the shalom, the peace of God that we get to rest in. Here's the thirdly thing, though. It's a place of service. It's a place of service. Because Adam, that's kind of contradictory. You just told me I was going to rest and say, how come I'm resting? But now I'm working again. Well, remember, we're going to be here forever and God has things that he wants us to do. Work is not bad. Did you know that? God gives us work before the fall. Before the fall, there is no curse in work. The ground is not cursed. We don't have to toil at our work. God gives us this work. He wants us to join with him in what he's doing. 
And you can actually see this in a couple different places. Look at Matthew 25, 21. Uh, Jesus is telling the parable of the talents where he gives different people different amounts of money and then he sees what they can do with it when he returns. And the first two double what God has given them. And look what he says to him. His master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So we're going to enter into the joy of the Lord. But he says, listen, if you've been faithful in what I gave you here, I'm going to make you faithful over even more. You have proven yourself faithful. There are going to be things to do. Jesus tells the apostles, you 12 apostles are going to reign on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So heaven is not this static reality. There are going to be things to do. There's going to be activity in heaven. So it's a place of service for it's a place of reunion. Heaven is a place where we are going to be reunited with those that we have lost. Heaven is a place where we are going to have a a reunion with those we have lost. Uh, This past week, I had the privilege of doing a a funeral uh, for one of our members who lost their father suddenly this week. And look, I do a lot of funerals. Uh, It is a lot easier to do a funeral for somebody who I know without a doubt has given their life to Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because there's going to be a reunion. We know this to be the case. And so look, it's still hard. It's still painful. We're still going to grieve. But to know that there's a reunion, Jesus says, all who have fallen asleep in him will awake again. We are going to live with them again. There will be a reunion with all those that we have lost in the new heaven and the new earth. Fifthly, it is a place of rewards. This is also controversial for some. People say, no, Adam, when we get there, everybody's going to be fine. We're all going to be equal. Everything's going to be equal for everybody. And while that is true, we are all going to be in the Lord. He says there are varying degrees of rewards. Jesus is unblushing about this. Remember, our actions matter. They matter for eternity. He says you can actually set treasure in heaven. Don't, don't build up all your treasure here where everything's going to rot and, and rust away. Set your treasure in heaven where it doesn't rot and rust away. Well, Adam, how would that work? Wouldn't that mean that, that there would be jealousy? I'd, I'd be upset if this guy had more than I did or his mansion was, was really big and I was in a shack. You know, that'd be, that'd be terrible. Well, it's not like that. One commentator said it this way. He said, all of our cups are going to run over, but some of our cups will just be bigger than others. But all of our cups are going to be running over. We're all going to be in Christ. We all will be perfected. We all will be in him. But he says, no, it it matters what we do in this life. It matters how we have honored and served the Lord. And so it's going to be a place of reward. You don't have to worry about jealousy, but our actions really do matter. Sixthly, it is a place without sin. This is massive. Look at verse four here in our passage. Look what it says. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Heaven and the new heaven and new earth is a place where there are absolutely no influence or impacts of sin. Dwell on that because that is amazing. There's no disease. There's no death. There's no pain. There's no crying. I don't have to worry about cancer anymore. I don't have to live in fear of dementia. I don't have to live in fear of Parkinson's or a a random accident stealing away someone that we love. 
There's no more death. There's no more anger. There's no more sin. There's no more greed. There's no more abuse. Do you realize that all of the effects of sin have been taken away? God is taking all of these away to build a brand new place. He is making all things new. That alone is enough to make us long for this place where we want to be. Seven, we will have brand new bodies. Some of us are excited about this. But in the new heaven and new earth, you get a brand new body. You see, in this life, our bodies wear out. We are a part of a corrupt creation. Our bodies wear out and die. But when we are resurrected, just like Jesus Christ, we are given a brand new physical body, but this body will not wear out and die. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, He's going to say this in verses 42 through 44. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Now, look, it's mysterious. I can't tell you all about it. He kind of even says in this larger passage, he's going to say, look, it's, it's a different kind of flesh, but flesh it is. It's physical. This is how God intended for us to be. But look, for anybody who is getting older, you say, Adam, getting older is not for the faint of heart. Things start to hurt and then things start to break. And then things get really bad from there when your body literally kind of revolts against you and disease takes hold. You begin to lose ability. This will never happen in the new heaven and new earth. You have a brand new body that will not age, that will not grow old, that will not fail you. You get a brand new body that does not wear out. Number eight, what we find out is this. We will live in community. We will live in community. Look at verse two. He says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, this is interesting because when we get to Revelation, we are not going back to Eden. Did you catch that? You might have thought that we we lost Eden and we're going to get it back, right? No, Eden was like the starting point, but God always had a plan. He says, I want my presence to cover the earth, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, we have. And at the end of time, we don't get new Eden. We get new Jerusalem, which P.S. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Shalom. This is the city of Shalom. This is the city of God's peace. This is the city of God's wholeness. There is a new Jerusalem that comes down, which means we're going to live with one another. We are going to live in a society as God intended for us to do. If your idea of heaven is that you just, everybody gets their own 40 acres and you just kind of run off to be by yourself, that's not how it works. He says, no, you get to live in a city, but here's why that's not going to freak us out. Imagine living in a society where you never had to worry about the motives of the person you were talking to. You never had to mistrust the person that you were with. Every single person you talked to, you could be a completely and totally open and honest and know that you will be loved and you can love them in return. There's no greed. There's no jealousy. There's no abuse. There's no anything. We get to live with one another the way God intended for us to do. This is how God wanted us to live from the beginning, not in murder and strife and anger and opposition, but in love together. God says, you and I are going to live in a brand new community. And then number nine, here's something that might tweak us out. Uh, That place is here. That place is here. Look at verse one. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
It's interesting. We, we think a lot about the new heaven. Sometimes we don't think about the fact there's going to be a new earth. It, we're not going there. It's coming here. Look at verse 2. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Where's it coming? Here. He's creating a brand new earth. I'm not simply going to be with him in heaven forever. No, he's bringing heaven here. There's going to be a union of heaven and earth. God's presence will be right here. And this is exactly what he wanted from the beginning. But the place that we will live is not in some disembodied existence up in the clouds. No, it's going to be flesh and blood. It's going to be physical. It's going to be real in a brand new heaven and a new earth with brand new bodies. You and I will get to live our eternity as we were always meant to be. But it's not up there. God is bringing it here in a new heaven and a new earth. Which brings me to the 10th thing and by far the most important thing about heaven. If you don't have anything else in heaven, we must have this. You and I will live in the presence of God. We will live in the presence of God. Look at verse three. Verse three, he says this. I heard a voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is the key. This is the defining factor of heaven. If you want to know where heaven is, heaven is where God lives. It is where God's presence resides. Guess what? That's where he was in Eden. This is where he was in the temple. But he now resides in us. And then he's going to build a place where now his presence covers this whole new heaven and new earth. But the greatest thing about it is that we will live in him in a relationship With him, the essence of heaven is I get to live fully and completely in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the most important part about heaven. You take that part away and you don't have heaven anymore. You can see this in the metaphor that he uses. Look at verse two yet again. And he says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Did you catch that? One of the most important metaphors for our life in the Lord is marriage. It's why he gives it to us. It's why marriage is so important to him. It's because it's a picture of our relationship as the church with Jesus Christ. He is the groom. We collectively are the bride. Now, now, now take that further. This is a relationship. God loves us. He gives himself for us. But he says, I want us to be unified. I literally going to put my life in you. You are in me. I love you. You love me. This is a love relationship together. You actually see this in other places as well. Uh, back in Revelation chapter 19, look what it says here. He said, in verse six, it says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. When you and I enter this new heaven and new earth, we finally get this marriage of Christ and the church. Do you remember what we said at the beginning about our purpose? Why did God make us? We were made in the image of God to be in a relationship with him. 
That was her purpose from the beginning. Well, here it is at the end. God says, that's the purpose. You're going to live in me forever. This is the essence of heaven itself. Now, this is important because for some of us, when we think about heaven, that's not what we primarily think of. We've got like seven, eight things before we ever actually get to Jesus. We sometimes think of heaven as there's basically things we like on earth times 10, right? So if you like golf, like your picture of heaven is just basically a continent of St. Andrews, right? It's just like, you're just everywhere, like no sand traps ever, right? Uh, or if it's like, you know, it's this, this food you love. It's all the restaurants. It's all that they're there. Or if it's this sport you like or this, this person you like. It's just whatever you like on earth. It's just that ramped up to 10. And look, yes, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is true. But none of those matter without your relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have him. You don't have anything. If your picture of heaven doesn't start with the fact that you get to live in relationship with your Savior, then you have a false view of heaven. We have a false view of what life is really all about. We find the fullness of life when we find ourselves in relationship with the Lord himself. And you and I are going to live forever. If we have given our lives to the Lord, though we don't deserve it, God has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has clothed us in his righteousness. And we will live in him forever. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. But if that is the case, then, then how does this help us? And I know we haven't answered all the questions or even seen the fullness of, of what God is going to give to us. But what does that mean for us now? How does this understanding, this, this understanding of my worldview affect me now? A couple things. It, it helps me to redeem the time. Look, if, if this life is all we have, then eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Spend all your money on yourself. Do whatever you want. Just do whatever. Kind of like when I said, hey, you got 24 hours to live. Fine, spend all the money. Let's do all the things. Why? I only got 24 hours to live. If this is all the life you got, then you might as well just do whatever. But if you know that your actions have impact for eternity, then why would we not serve him here? Why would I not spend my time well? Why would I not redeem the time to walk in the Lord, to continue his fight, to pray for his kingdom to come? When I know that that is coming, I'm going to redeem the time. Here's the second thing. It helps me to live in hope. Because let's be honest, life in the battle is tough. Right now, you and I are all in the war. And that war rages. And every single one of us in this room, I know many of your stories, we ride the waves of this battle up and down the whole time that we are. And some of you are tempted to give up. Some of you are tempted to say, what does it matter? Why not just give in? Why continue on with the fight? Why do any of these things? Why should I possibly care about this? I'm just going to give in. It doesn't matter. And when you and I recognize that we are going to live in him forever, it is a reminder that what you and I deal with right here, right now, is temporary. It is going to end. Jesus wins. This is not up in the air. This is not 50-50. This is not probable. This is, no, he wins. He's already won. This is temporary. And we are going to live in him forever. He has already guaranteed it for us. And so if that is the case, it gives us hope. Even though we groan in this body, we groan along with the world in this world. We groan because this is not the place we're going to be. We still deal with the battle. But when we recognize what is to come, it gives us hope to live now knowing what is coming. 
Do you live in hope? Do you have a hope that's simply based on you and what you can produce and what you can do, knowing that all of that can be taken away with the whims of this world? Or do you recognize that regardless of what this world throws at us, our God has already conquered and we will live in him forever? Gives you hope. And he's actually given us a way to renew that hope, which is why we're going to do the Lord's Supper here today in just a moment. Let me show you a passage in Matthew. Uh, this is uh, Matthew. Where am I? Um, chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. Listen to this. Jesus says, this is the night before the crucifixion. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now, most of us are very familiar with those first two lines. If you're a Christian, you've been through communion uh, once, twice, a hundred times. You say, I I get that. This is my body. This is my blood. But this last line we sometimes forget about. Look what Jesus says. He says, I'm not going to drink of this fruit of the vine again until we do this together in the kingdom. Now, we know for a fact that Jesus had many meals with his disciples post-resurrection. Remember, he eats the fish because they're all freaked out when he shows up after the resurrection. He cooks some breakfast. On the shore, this is where he restores Peter. We know he had meals with the apostles, but he says, no, no, no. I'm talking about this celebration. There's going to be a day of celebration and I'm not going to drink of this with y'all again until we're all there together in the kingdom. And we just actually read about when that's going to be. Look at Revelation 19, verse nine, once again. And look what it says. Angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You and I are going to sit with the Lord at our own marriage supper between Christ and his church. It's coming. We're going to be there with the apostles, with Moses and Elijah, with all the people who have gone before. We will finally get to sit at that marriage supper of the Lamb. But until then, he draws us to a table and reminds us time and again, I have already paid everything for you. I have given you my body. I have given you my blood. It is a new covenant. Just like a marriage covenant that binds us together. I am giving you this as a guarantee that I will bring you home. In just a moment, as we pass out the bread and the cup, as you feel these elements go down, it is a reminder that he is in me. I am in him. And there's coming a day when we will sit with him at the marriage supper of the lamb and enjoy him forever. This is our future.